We always say seat time is king, so sit on down and listen in to Motorsports Tech Talk with your hosts, Brian and Eric. Eric, how's it going? Oh, it's going all right, buddy. How are you doing? Uh, you know, pretty good, pretty good. Um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe you got some uh, some track, uh, some track dayage, some bike track dayage, maybe some competition licensing in. Uh, hey, recently. Uh, yeah, yep, 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 yep. Um, so I got my uh, certificate to get a race license um, for the motorcycle and effectively what that does is I would get a for the next few races I get a provisional license Mm -hmm. so I have to be able to complete a few races without fucking up yep yep and then if I do that then I can have a real boy license oh Um, yeah yeah so that that, uh, day was interesting um it was 12% chance of rain, which naturally means it rained almost the whole day. <laughs> um, I didn't even go out on track uh, for the first half because also when you're trying to get that certificate, it's a um, same sort of thing. Like mm-hmm. as long as you don't screw up, you can get your certificate. It's real easy. Just don't rack. <laughs> I've never ridden in the rain. I would honestly like to. Um, I mean, it'll suck, right? I don't want to get my leathers wet. It'll be uncomfortable, but I think it'll be good practice, right? Yeah. Eventually, there's going to be a race in the rain. Um, you know, generally, it makes you be smoother. It makes you a better rider or driver. So that's not something I wanted to shy away from. But I spent the extra money to get my race certificate. I'm not about to go out and dump it when it's wet. You know, I just, I'll wait, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was uh noon. It warmed up and that's when they made us do all the practice starts and pretty much the core of the, you know, licensing thing. Right? Okay. Uh, that's, it's the same with like most car groups, right? Like mm-hmm. when you mm-hmm. get your license, the thing they care about most is when you have your fake race start Maybe you do a full lap. Don't have contact, right? That's that's the crux of getting your license. So yep. I dried up around noon. We did those. Uh, they were just starts, you know. Um, so that was interesting. Um, and then it started raining again after noon. It even hailed a little bit. Hmm. Um, but then a little bit after that, it started to clear up. So I got some track time. All in all, like it's it's cool to have my certificate. Question: It it makes you feel like you didn't really like work for it, though. You know, when you didn't do anything all day. Mm-hmm. Also, the class is small enough to generally get one on one. Like, I don't want to say instruction, but like, hey, this is where you could be better. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, this is where you're lacking, sort of thing. And that didn't happen because none of us fucking went out, right? Uh. I mean, a couple people did. Most of them did it for one lap. The guy who didn't wrecked. So, hmm, there you go. Uh, <laughs> sucks. Yeah. And um, like it wasn't bad. You know, he just went down. I, I think the bike was fine. He was fine. Um, 
But yeah, so I got that. Um, and that was okay. Um, if I'm, if I'm going to dump out my purse a little bit, um, I've, I've been, uh, I've, I've been a pretty solid bitch about writing. Uh, ever since I yeeted myself off the track at Groton head first, uh, last mm. year, mm-hmm. um, which is irritating cause, uh, I, put the bike back together. I fixed it and got back out on track because I wanted to avoid this exact like subliminal slightly going slower than you should thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I figured if I finished the track day on track, it would be good. Uh, I shouldn't have gone back out. I'm going to go ahead and say, uh, one, I'm an idiot. B, I was concussed and mm-hmm. C through Z, uh, I didn't know I was. So give me a break. Yeah. That was definitely a bad decision though, but I did go back out uh, that day. But so I've been riding a little soft sense. Um, even when I got my race license, um, my lap time, uh, I felt like I didn't have any empirical number, was slower than uh, what I used to do um, before that event, right? Mm-hmm. So it's been a year later and I'm fucking slower. So pretty frustrated with that but i went out to um gingerman last friday uh for bike Mm -hmm. night and as we all know gingerman is the greatest track in the world of course um and for us at least it's like home base right yeah you know you know that track like the back of your hand never really have to worry about anything and that was that was actually pretty awesome um i can definitely go faster but uh, at Gingerman, I turned the wick up, you know, doing my thing, you know, actually doing good. So now I'm feeling good and um, looking at doing a two-hour endurance race, blowing my brains out, mm-hmm. at Nelson Ledges in uh, about a week. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, on the R6... I run out of steam in about 15 minutes. Um, Yeah. Like it's actually like, I like to think I'm at least kind of fit and it gets hard to focus um, and all that stuff. So I'll be taking the 250. Um, It's a lot easier to throw around. Should Mm -hmm. be a lot easier on me. And with the two hour race, you have a teammate. So share the load a bit uh, and we'll see how that goes. Hopefully I don't, you know, fuck up. So, yeah. But yes, got my license. Uh, waiting to hear back. I, I just I'm double checking to make sure I can do the endurance with a provisional license. I don't see why not. But double checking. Um, and I should have as long as I can. I should be having my first race here in about a week and a half. So. Uh, I'll lose by the way. <laughs> um, the, for a couple reasons, um, we'll start off with, uh, I don't really think I'm that slow. Uh, but I, I, I don't have a huge ego. I can admit there's faster people, but also the endurance races, they don't separate. Uh, you have a amateur license, an expert license. 
mm-hmm. truly honestly just based on pace mm-hmm. um they don't separate those for the endurance race so i'm going to be with really 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 fast people yeah um also i have a 2012 the my ultralight right when i'm racing is a 2012 Kawasaki 250. Uh, it's carbureted, pretty. Mm-hmm. Well, I was gonna say sweet, but it's something else. <laughs> um, other bikes that fit in that category: the 300s, the 400s. Hmm, that's more. They're than fuel 250. injected too. <laughs> <laughs> like the KTM has 44 horsepower. I have. Maybe 20-something. So, uh, yeah, th- this is really going to be a uh, get your feet wet and try to have fun. Yeah. But I, I think I'm going to be down on, maybe down on skill, which is kind of hard to admit, admit, and definitely down on power. <laughs> so. Yeah, but, but you know, it's it's an endurance race, so, you yeah. know. Just gotta if you keep it on the track, you probably won't finish last. So Yeah. That's true. But uh yeah, I mean at the end of the day it's all about fun, right? So Yeah, I mean we say that and it is. But I mean we're also like even though I know these people are gonna be faster than me, like these some of these people have been racing for the past decade, right? Like yeah. let's just say practice makes perfect. I know where I sit. Even understanding that, we're competitive people. People who race are competitive people. So I'm not looking forward to getting, you know, just fucking bent over <laughs> Nelson for two hours. But I don't know. I think it'll still be a good time. I think I'll probably be pretty frustrated. But hopefully it'll be fun enough to make that worth it. Yeah. I mean, I, I know some people who race that aren't competitive and it, it is always interesting to me because I, I feel like they could maybe save a lot, a lot of money and just do track days and stuff. If that's cause it, sometimes that's kind of what it equates to be. If you're, if you're kind of running mid to backpack and like say spec Miata or something, a lot mm-hmm. of times there's really no one you're really racing. Uh, maybe you're kind of lapping behind them sort of but like not really racing but usually there's enough there's enough people enough skill levels experience levels and speed levels and stuff that it's not everyone can find someone to race but um but i mean you know some of these you know some of these uh, people i talk to it's just yeah they're they're just they're happy they're having a good time but like they definitely don't really care about their finishing finishing position but which always was interesting to me as a super ultra mega competitive person. So, yeah, but, um, yeah, you know, everyone has their, has their own reasons. So can't, can't fault them for it, but yeah, yeah, we'll see. Well, we'll see how I, how I feel about it. Um, you know, I know for the, the sprint races, I, I need to fucking pick my pace up, uh, on the R6. So, um, so we'll see, you know, like I, most of the reason I got the license was to do endurance races with friends. Mm-hmm. Right. So that is what I'm doing. Should be a good time still. Uh, but, 
Yeah. But mm-hmm. we'll see. Right. So, yeah. But yeah, as far as, uh, as far as my racing, I, for some unforeseen, uh, circumstances that I don't really want to get into on here, uh, I'll be missing the the next next event at Mid Ohio. Unfortunately, it's coming up in a week. I was really looking forward to it because of how well last one went. Um, but you know, there's still one more Mid Ohio later in the season, and uh, just so many more races left in the season. So, eh, you know, it'll. I should be back in for for Gingerman, the greatest track and race in the world. Of course. Um, so that's that's the goal um but uh yeah so just more just getting ready for gingerman now uh last last year it was like my first it was one of the first events that i felt like i started gaining some traction both literally and figuratively (laughs) um and being you know as you said being our home track and being home base like i i think uh now that I have the car kind of dialed in, I think it's going to be pretty good there. And I think the, the gear ratio change will be very beneficial there. So okay. I'm hoping to have some good pace there and it's kind of a hard, Oh, kind of a hard track to pass on. So I think if I can qualify well, I should be able to kind of stay out in front. So as long as I don't get eaten up on coming up at a 10, uh, 10 B coming up the hill. Yeah. Um, so we'll you see. Should be fine now, though, right? Uh, you think when you say eating up, do you think you're just down on power and that's it? Um, or, yeah, but definitely last time I I was just lugging like lugging third gear coming up there, whereas now I should be more towards the top of the better part of third gear coming up that hill. Okay. So, um, so yeah, that'll be my next event. So not not for a couple weeks. So. Um, yeah, so, but in the meantime, uh, this week I thought, uh, we thought we'd do more of a a tech focused episode. Uh, we've done a lot of kind of engine related things, so we thought we'd do a dive into kind of another sector of it and talk about fuel systems. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, where should we start? I mean, we could start kind of on the hardware side or... Yeah, I mean, let's uh, let's just start at the back and work our way forward, right? So the you have your fuel cell or your fuel tank. You put some fuel in there. <laughs> uh, get some pumps. There's different kinds of pumps, aren't there? Uh, yeah, there's quite a few different. No, I mean, there's there's a couple different types. Um, yeah, your your standard uh, kind of OEM fuel pump setup. It's going to be internal to the tank um at least most of the time there's there's some i think like bmw e30s and stuff like that have an external uh pressure pump and an internal lift pump but uh for the most part most modern cars now just have one internal high pressure pump um and you know that's that's going to be kind of your first area if you want to upgrade you can you can get a higher flow kind of in tank pump um, or you can start going towards uh, external ones. Um, I guess one thing to, to clarify with kind of high pressure, low pressure, uh, usually when we're talking high pressure, that's in your, you know, kind of your three three bar range, your 40 
psi or so that that's most uh, most mm-hmm. uh kind of modern fuel injection multi-port fuel injection systems kind of run at that sort of pressure um sometimes yeah, I mean, lift, uh sorry yeah yeah just to interject i guess in in this case you're talking more about like a main pump and lift pumps um we should be a little careful because for direct injection you have an actually high pressure pump yeah right and those are many thousands of psi yeah so yeah maybe maybe we should back it up a little more and just start from kind of the main different types of kind of the main the three main fuel fuel system types that you'll see on cars um your first you got your carburetors your your kind of your old-fashioned mechanical style uh carburation setup so those will usually run off a very low pressure pump, maybe five to 10 PSI uh, from the tank to the carburetor. And then uh, from there you have some, uh, basically it's all, uh, carburetor is just, it's just a mechanical way of injecting fuel. So there's some some jets that meter the fuel uh, and then some kind of little venturis that, uh, or basically it, it does, it, it it tries to atomize the fuel as it sprays into the, the, the barrels of the carburetor. So, you know, you'll, you might hear like two barrel, four barrel, all that kind of stuff. Um, cause what, yeah, what it's, those... it's hard to describe. I mean, maybe we can draw this one later. Um, yeah. Cause there's so many different parts, but yeah, you have your jets and your pentels and your diaphragm is pulling the pentel, which allows more fuel to flow in. And then, but you know the fuel's also being pulled in by engine vacuum, and it, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have your multi-barrel ones because sometimes there'll be primaries and secondaries to try to get a nicer kind of part throttle and idling characteristic, and then mm-hmm. the secondaries are going to open up for the big full throttle power. Um, ultimately, uh, I think you know carburation is. Not well, obviously, definitely not common nowadays, and you're never going to see it in any any new vehicle except for a brand new like dirt bike or something. Maybe I, I don't know. Like, yeah, most dirt bikes have even stopped. Uh, the really cheap ones, the small ones, um, whether they're meant for children, really, it's just that, right? Mm-hmm. You're only going to find it on the cheapest things because carburetors are cheaper. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you go buy a brand new XR50, it's probably carbureted. Uh, as I mentioned, my 2012 Ninja 250 is carbureted, but <laughs> that was the last year. After that, they went to 300 and a fuel injection. Um, so yeah, I mean the only only time you're going to see it is on something really small, a lawnmower. And I think even some of those are starting to be fuel injected. Now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. Yeah, so definitely a dying breed, but you know, if in in racing, you definitely will come across it. Drag racing, it's still super common. Um, some some forms of of road racing, you might you know obviously classic stuff, uh, you're gonna see it, but uh, for the most part, you're gonna see the the second type of fuel injection system that we'll be covering, which is multi-port uh, fuel injection. So. The, the main difference here is that instead of a carburetor that's that's metering and, and atomizing and 
and providing the fuel to the engine. We have some, basically, some electronic solenoids that are that are controlling the the fuel um, the fuel distribution. So, the the multi port uh, portion of it, which I guess it doesn't have to be multi port. It could be throttle body injected, as a as as came on my glorious Mitsubishi Starion. Um, but still just different idea with, with, with a throttle by injection, it's, it's a very easy replacement for carbureted, uh, engines. So when automakers were making the switch from carbureted to fuel injected, they could make this simpler step of just replacing the carburetor with a few fuel injectors at the, basically at kind of at where the carburetor was and then didn't have to really redesign the intake manifold or, and stuff like that. So, um, but that's, that was definitely a transitional thing. The most common mm-hmm. on most cars nowadays is going to be multi-port fuel injection. And then, uh, and the newest stuff, uh, direct injection, which we'll get into, that's the third type. But, uh, but multi-port is definitely your most common that you'll see in, in most cars that a lot of people will be racing, you know, your nineties, two thousands, kind of cars your miatas your uh your bmw e36s stuff like that it's that's all going to be uh, multi-port mm-hmm. injected so yeah yeah so um architecturally what you have is you have these injectors um as you mentioned the solenoids right um and you're generally going to have one generally at each port right um for your intake. So it's probably going to be sitting, you know, on your intake manifold, um, you know, pointed directly at the uh, head um, where that valve is going to open up. And on the other side, of, you have your fuel rail. Um, so you have this pressurized fuel, um, which, as we already mentioned, from the normal intake pump, um, you know, and you'll have pressure regulators and different things, but you know, you're going to be somewhere between like probably 45 and 60 PSI. And that's sitting on one side of the injector in the fuel rail. And then the injector opens, it allows the fuel to go through and then closes obviously. Um, yep. So yeah, big so, picture. That's, that's what it looks like, I guess. Yeah. So like the end of the injector will have a bunch of little dots, you know, little, little small openings that'll kind of direct it into a certain spray pattern. Um, usually that spray pattern, at least in a, in a, in stock form on the, on your car will be kind of opt will be optimized for the shape of your port and for the location and everything. So it's one thing to look out for when you're switching injectors is that the spray pattern of the ones you add might not be the best spray pattern for you a lot of times you can you can get away with kind of different different types of spray patterns you might just end up wetting the the cylinder cylinder head walls a little bit with fuel more than um just kind of basically just wasting a little extra fuel not as good fuel economy but as long as it's getting good atomization and it's getting into the through the intake port then it's going to work pretty good so um I, I found uh, sometimes online you're able to find kind of specs for spray pattern and angle and those kind of things. So that's that's definitely more. A lot of times you don't you shouldn't have to worry about that if you're just ordering, say, some aftermarket injectors that are meant for your application. Uh, 
usually they'll have adapters or spacers and stuff like that that are meant to kind of compensate for that. But it's definitely something to look out for if you're kind of Frankensteining something together. Um, you know, just finding, oh, look, I can hide these high-flow injectors from this so-and-so car, this, you know, LS-powered truck or something. I, I'm going to take those injectors and put them on my Miata or whatever. And Yeah. You know, uh, that's one thing to look out for, but shouldn't really be too much of a problem. Um, there's also two different styles of injectors that are usually um, kind of quoted. There's high impedance and low impedance. Um, both types have kind of some advantages, advantages and disadvantages. Ultimately, uh, the uh, low impedance injectors need a resistor pack basically to run. Uh, to run properly, uh, usually uh, on the OE uh, for your OE setup, it'll it'll come with that resistor pack, and and, and uh, those will be used to drive the injectors. And so, if you're switching to a high impedance injector, then you're going to need to remove that uh, resistor pack, basically. And uh, that's when you start getting into probably aftermarket ECUs and everything, anyway. So. Um, that's when you can just choose whichever they recommend. Um, but, uh, but it's another thing to look out for. There's, there's kind of two different overall styles of fuel injector that, uh, aren't exactly, uh, compatible with each other. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, if you go on any fuel injection, uh, company website or whatever, they can, they can run you through kind of the, the overall difference between those two. Uh, there's, there's little things. Some have, I, I think the, low low impedance have a little better uh have ability to run at lower flows a little better so like you know have better idling characteristics whereas the high impedance uh have have kind of higher flow ceilings a lot of the times um but that's also partially just because some injectors only come in crazy huge sizes and and some don't so that's Mm -hmm. that's kind of uh, you know, not neither here or there. So, um, but, uh, I bet, but kind of coming back from the fuel injector back. So now, you know, we, t- Eric talked about, you know, you get your fuel rail and your fuel injectors and they're injecting straight into the cylinder head slash intake manifold. Um, from there, you know, you have your fuel pump. Um, there's usually two different types of, of kind of overall systems that you'll see. You'll see kind of a returnless and a return style fuel system. Um, the, the returnless will have a, usually have a fuel pressure regulator either on the pump or very close to the pump uh, and kind of in proximity to the fuel tank. And so that'll regulate fuel um, directly from the fuel tank to be the correct pressure and send it to the fuel rail. And then uh, any sort of excess flow or, or uh, kind of bleed off will happen at the on the tank side, whereas a return style system there'll be a fuel pressure regulator on the fuel rail itself, and then a return line that that comes back to the fuel tank. Um, the kind of one of the disadvantages of the return style is that sometimes it can pick up a bit more heat as it goes all the way to the engine, comes back, and then it gets pumped again. Um, but it's also it's definitely the easiest to the return style is definitely easiest to modify as far as adding like an aftermarket fuel pressure regulator and, and, um, and 
uh, parts like that. So that that mm-hmm. can be a little easier to to modify in that in that case. But yeah, I found that to be a really nice uh, style uh, when I did my shenanigans with the with the old Miata, um, just because. Uh, so I had a different engine, different year, different, uh, the, the fuel pressure regulator that was on it, um, worked a different way than what had been on those engines before, right? As things do, they iterate and change and progress. Um, Mm -hmm. but it was just super convenient for me anyway. Um, cause there's a year or a range of years for the Miata, um, for the return style system where the fuel pressure regulator referenced um, intake manifold pressure, mm-hmm. generally a vacuum, but if you're yep. boosting it, it's still pressure, right? It's still a reference. And so it's always a set PSI above whatever's in the intake manifold. So I didn't need any rising rate nonsense or anything right i just i'd like to say it was easy uh i didn't notice the o-ring sucked so i started spraying fuel places where it shouldn't go Mm. it was a headache (laughs) but big picture it was two bolts and should have been incredibly easy um so you know i i i do have an affinity for that style just because it's you know so simple yeah and I think the the return style is the most common. At least it's my my spec Miata has it. I know some of the later ones, I believe, went to a a, a returnless system. Uh, but uh, yeah, like most, a lot of the cars I've worked on have had a return style. So that's that's definitely the the setup I'm most familiar with. Um, yeah. So I mean, like you said, with the with the fuel pressure regulator, I think we touched on it a little bit during the uh, turbo or forced induction episode where, like you said, uh, when you have a fuel pressure regulator and it's referencing either vacuum or boost in this case, uh, when there's positive pressure in the intake manifold, um, it'll automatically adjust that fuel pressure based on that pressure signal. So, um, which is very important because you want there to be consistent pressure between what's in the cylinder and what your fuel is seeing basically. So if the pressure you know, boost pressure were to increase inside the engine, uh, and then your fuel pressure, it wasn't compensating. Basically you have an effectively lower fuel pressure because the pressure as the fuel is being injected is higher than it is by comparison to the, the fuel pressure. So by having that rising rate, you're compensating for it and it keeps everything, uh, consistent basically. Um, right. Right. Yeah. You're looking at the two pressures on either side of that injector or solenoid. So if you always had 40 PSI and you went from, you know, these aren't real numbers, but let's just say negative 5 PSI or 5 PSI of vacuum, that's a 45 PSI difference between one end and the other. And that pressure is affecting like how it's going through the injector. And as you mentioned, um, how it, that how it atomizes, um, you know, with that spray pattern, you know, all of a sudden we go to zero PSI, you know, it's just cause you're getting into boost, but not there yet. Or if you have five pounds of boost, you know, um, 
now you're down to 35 PSI. That's 10 PSI different than, you know, what you were tuned for. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely something to be careful with, uh, if you're boosting a car, um, it's something to keep, keep an eye on. Most, most modern, uh, most vehicles I've seen have a, you know, a rising rate fuel pressure regulator based on that pressure reference. Um, in this, but in, in most naturally aspirated cases, it's just, it's just lowering your fuel pressure in vacuum and then, and then hitting, you know, kind of equalizing it back to the, the base, the base pressure that it's set to when, when you're at full throttle. But, um, um, but yeah, definitely something to keep an eye out on. Um, but yeah, so then, I mean, that, that mostly covers kind of that full, the full multi-port fuel system. You have, you have your tank, you have your pump, sending pressurized fuel to your injector, which sprays it. And then any excess, uh, pressure is regulated by the fuel pressure regulator and then sends that excess fuel back to the fuel tank. And then, uh, eventually you run out and have to put more fuel back into it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess while we're on this side of the vehicle, even though we talked about starting in the rear, uh, let you want to hit on uh, direct injection. Just uh, yeah. The engine. Sure. Yeah, so uh, direct injection, which can also be paired with uh, multi-port injection, uh, which is done on some cars uh, mm -hmm. for some reasons I'll get into later. Um, but uh, but basically direct injection is, as the name implies, uh, directing fuel, uh, injecting fuel directly uh, into the combustion chamber. So uh, in this case... Um, uh, well, because of combustion, uh, the combustion chamber being so high pressure during, uh, during the, where, when the fuel is injected, uh, that means the fuel pressure needs to be much, 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 much higher as you kind of talked about a little bit earlier. Uh, so we're talking in the thousands of PSI uh, range. Um, and because of this, in order to get to those thousands of PSI, you're going to have a mechanical fuel pump directly. Uh, located on the engine usually it's driven off of the camshaft um, but there 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 may be some different setups out there um, but most most cars I've seen are it's it's camshaft driven and um, but you still will you still will have an electronic fuel pump but in this case it'll be kind of acting as a lift pump to direct fuel from the fuel tank to this mechanical fuel pump which then super pressurizes it up to thousands of PSI, like maybe around like 2,400 or something, if, if I remember correctly. Um, and, and then it'll inject directly into the cylinder. So, uh, the advantages of this setup is for one, um, it gives, it gives much better, uh, control over that spray pattern. Uh, you're an atomization within the cylinder cause you're, you're, directly injecting it into the into the cylinder so there's no kind of wetting of the cylinder walls or any kind of losses as as the fuel is making its way down the intake port um or maybe there's some problems getting it to perfectly atomize and stuff whereas with direct injection especially with the high pressure it can very quickly and easily atomize it directly into the cylinder and get a cleaner burn um Another benefit that I've uh, read about was kind of as, as the, as the, um, 
basically as the piston's coming up and compressing uh, the mixture, they can inject uh, they can inject the fuel kind of much later, and it almost adds a little bit of extra pressure into the cylinder, basically, uh, to to get a, a better burn. Uh, that's my understanding. So it's it's there's definitely a lot going on. It's it's definitely the most uh, difficult system to modify because to to get a higher flow direct injector injector would be it's going to start to get difficult and they're very expensive too because you know very high pressure very complex parts because they have to directly seal against the cylinder head and they're usually these kind of long long pieces that are you know that have to take the fuel from outside the cylinder and then inject it directly inside the cylinder so they're um they're pretty complex parts, pretty expensive, and definitely um, difficult to, to modify. It's definitely, um, if if you're looking to modify, I think you know, I've seen some companies able to do it for sure, um, but it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be much difficult than your kind of all the parts and aftermarket support that there is available for kind of multi-port fuel injection. Um Luckily, right. it's, it's less mm-hmm. tuner friendly for sure. Yeah. Luckily, um, um, a, a lot of cars these days uh, have both um, for kind of two reasons. Um, one is when you just have direct injection, there's no fuel cleaning the uh, intake valves from getting kind of carbon deposits from because uh, most uh, all cars have ex- exhaust gas recirculation systems and and the like for emissions. So uh, over time, a lot of carbon can build up on the intake valve. Um, the fuel does a really good job of cleaning that. Um, so when port injection, you have fuel basically spraying directly on the back of those valves, so it'll clean it off. So in order to avoid long-term kind of deposits and problems with those, uh, they've added port injection on a lot of engines. I know like the Ford EcoBoost, Gen 1 to Gen 2, they added port injection on top of the uh, direct injection. I know Toyota, a lot of Toyota's engines have both. Um, I think Mazda also made a, a similar switch. So that's, that's my understanding of it. Um, the other thing is um, they're able to basically, they can also improve efficiency by kind of stacking both injectors. They can get better, um, just be- a little better atomization overall by using both. Uh, sometimes they'll only use the port injectors during certain like kind of cold startup type situations. And, um, but there's, there's a lot of different ways then it gives them kind of more levers to, to pull on to, to get a good burn and to get efficiency and then also prevent carbon buildup. So, uh, but, but because of that, uh, as far as the tuner scene is concerned, you can then just upgrade your your port injectors and leave your direct injectors alone, and uh, still have kind of that extra fuel to to add more power. Um, alternatively, uh, I remember uh, Pabadakis Racing, who has a thousand horsepower uh, Supra that they they do formula drift with. Um, they modified that BMW engine in it, and um, originally they left the the direct injectors in there just as to, to seal the cylinder. Um, and they found that without the fuel flowing through them to cool them, they actually melted the, um, direct injectors, uh, during a dyno pull and it shot, you know, 
you know, fuel and explosions out, out the, basically shot the (laughs) injector out and then, you know, it basically blew up sort of. Um, so they learned that ultimately they ended up like, uh, basically machining some like slugs to replace the, replace those injector holes and they're just using port injectors. So as I guess that's one, if you're modifying, be careful with, uh, just turning off the direct injectors, you might, uh, melt them. So that's, uh, yeah interesting tidbit there but uh it's also uh quite the power increase though right if you're modifying and gaining 50 horsepower you might be fine yeah that's true too (laughs) he was he went from a 300 horsepower to a thousand so quite a quite a big jump um but yeah so those are kind of the three major systems you'll see uh ported port multi-port fuel injection is definitely the most kind of tuner friendly Honestly, and like kind of easiest to troubleshoot and work on and fix, and um, definitely my preferred uh, setup. So yeah, those those are kind of the three major uh, configurations. Um, I guess one other one other thing I'd like to mention quick when it comes to fuel pumps is uh, commonly you have your electric fuel pumps either in tank or maybe external in some cases. Uh, but there's also kind of another option that's mechanical fuel pumps, similar to um, your direct injection system, but instead having a mechanical fuel pump that is then feeding your multi-port fuel injection. So uh, that that's more mainly only used for drag racing where they need a ton of flow and they don't want to run some giant like 40 amp pump that, you know, that... Uh, is just big and heavy and everything. They can get this pretty lightweight, a mechanical pump and drive it directly off the camshaft and then uh, use that for their, their pumping fuel pumping needs. So that's another option for kind of big horsepower. I've seen it on time attack vehicles as well. Um, But uh, definitely you're just your big, big power builds. We'll, We'll start to look in that direction and, and uh, I've I've seen them be very successful with those those types of setups, um, but ultimately, most commonly, you're going to have your your electronic pumping setups. So um, I was kind of talking a little bit about those earlier. So kind of the most common upgrade is to upgrade your in tank pump to a a higher flow one. There's a lot of different aftermarket options now. There's the Walbro 255, which is usually you know your first step up. Um, and then you start getting in the Walbro 450. Um, and then, you know, different companies have their own versions and types. There's, there's like three fifties and stuff from like, uh, AM and, uh, fuel lab and all these different companies. They, they all have aeromotive, like companies like that. They all have different pump styles, um, different flow rates, but, the biggest in-tank one I've seen is the Walbro 525, I believe. It's, I think it's from the Hellcat. At least it was It originally. It's, it's the OEM pump, basically, for a Hellcat. Uh, and then they decided to sell them aftermarket as well. So okay. those those can flow pretty good. If you're just running uh, normal you know, gasoline, 93 octane, whatever, uh, you can easily get over 1,000 horsepower with one of those pumps. Um it's more when you start getting into E85 and methanol, maybe even <laughs> where right. you're going to need something a little bit bigger. So and I've, uh, I've which, seen some of these pumps 
where they have the same uh, flow rate, but they'll have two different pressure ratings. Mm, yes. So they'll have like a, as an example, a 255 and then a 255 plus or HP or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so one flows 255 liters per hour, but that's at a standard, you know, 45 PSI. The other one has the same flow rate, but at, you know, 70 or 75 PSI. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. So usually yeah, you're, you're going to want to pick the higher pressure pump and a boosted application where you're going to see a lot higher fuel pressure. Whereas, um, in a natural aspirated condition, then yeah, you're just going to want the normal non high pressure one. Um, I'm not sure if there's really any downsides of just getting the high pressure one, even for naturally aspirated. Uh, you would, I mean, you'd have to compare the two kind of fuel flow plots. Uh, mm -hmm. Potentially one will have higher flow at that lower pressure, the non high pressure one. But yeah, the high pressure one's more meant for, it can maintain a better flow rate at the higher pressure. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's a very good point. Yeah. That's one thing to look out for um, is to make sure you, you compare kind of, all the manufacturers will usually share their kind of fuel versus f fuel flow versus pressure. So, um, you know, whatever they're advertising is at, you know, you want to, you're going to want to see exactly what pressure they're, they're advertising of the flow rate. It could be at some really low pressure that isn't really applicable to your application. And you're going to want to see, Oh, well I'm actually running cause well, cause even, even in the case of, uh, just, whatever basically the fuel pump is going to have to apply uh, provide a much higher pressure than what the injectors will ultimately see because there's going to be pressure loss through all the lines um and then ultimately your, your fuel pressure regulator is gonna, then going to meter it down and then of course if you're if we're adding boost pressure to the mix then it's going to if you're running 30 pounds of boost then you could see your pump could be working as much as 80 psi or so um mm -hmm as you get the really high boost. So yeah, it's definitely something to look out for. Um, but, um, but yeah, so as far as in tank pumps, like the, that 525 is kind of the biggest I've seen. Um, and then from there you can start adding in, in series, uh, if you, or, uh, basically in series or parallel or really doesn't, I, mean, I guess ultimately, uh, you'd want to add them in parallel cause you're not going to want, uh, the next pump to see a really high, high pressure. Well, it's going to, I guess the pumps will be in series from the main pump, but then if you're adding external pumps, you're going to, you're not going to want to chain them all together. You're going to want them to kind of, if you're, if you're having, having to add more than one, you're kind of, you're going to want to parallel split them off and then have them tee back together before, uh, rejoining your fuel system. So you're not making because the higher the fuel pressure the, the harder the pump is going to work um mm -hmm. so which is why if you're doing external pumps it's best to to run a lower pressure kind of lift pump to them and then and then run a maybe much larger kind of external pump but you can still you can still in put them in series it's just uh they might be working a little bit harder there um but ultimately i think they're gonna they're gonna find they're kind of gonna find the pressure that they need if, since the regulator is going to be downstream of them. So, um, but yeah, just something I guess to, to look out for. I definitely prefer just having one single 
and tank pump if you can get away with it. Uh, anything bigger than maybe having one large external being fed by a bunch of low pressure um, lift pumps. Because usually the lower pressure pumps can, can flow quite a bit more uh, for their size because... Because as you, as I said, as you increase that pressure, you're kind of losing, having more pumping losses there. So, um, yeah, as far as, uh, one thing I wanted to get a little bit into, which I feel like, uh, not a lot of, there's not as much information out there is kind of fuel cell setups as well as like fuel surge tanks and, and things like that. Um, uh, when it comes to, uh, drag racing as well as, um, road racing fuel cells are, are definitely very common. Um, in some cases they're required by the rules for safety. Um, I mean, I think the, the safety of fuel cells is definitely proven pretty well. Um, one thing I, I think, uh, people should look out for is a, a modern fuel tank in kind of usually, which is usually located kind of underneath the, the kind of back seats or area of the car, which is quite a safe position. Uh, usually I think as long as you're not modifying, it should be very safe. Um, mm -hmm. where I'd look for definitely if, if you're running an old car that has the fuel tank kind of behind the rear axle, that's where I definitely want to start looking at adding a fuel cell. And then, um, for, I mean, for any rule set that requires it or, the case of champ car where you can get like kind of a, a fuel capacity increase for running it. Um, you know, choosing kind of specking out a fuel cell as well as, cause there's a lot of different types, uh, as well as designing a setup that will be able to actually extract all the fuel from that fuel cell or just your stock tank, um, is definitely something that I think there's not as much information as I'd like to see out there for, um, but, uh, but yeah, as far as fuel cell construction, there's usually, there's a few different types. Um, there's kind of like a rotomold plastic, uh, tanks. Those are the kind of the most affordable, uh, usually they're still going to be in the metal box. So they're going to look exactly the same as the bladder style. Um, those ones, they're usually better for, uh, they have lot more different fuel compatibility the, they can take ethanol methanol gasoline anything so that's one of their advantages disadvantage is that they're not really flexible so in a crash they're i would say they're definitely not as safe but they're very thick so usually they can take quite a bit of beating before you have any issues um the bladder style is is definitely the the safer option but more expensive uh as well as uh, it's, there's a lot of different types of bladders that will be compatible with different types of fuels. So it's definitely a little trickier if you're trying to run maybe ethanol, um, or, or methanol or something like that. So if you're running gasoline, there's usually pretty, pretty good options and lower cost options there, but it's more of the more exotic fuels as they might call them that you start getting uh, into issues. Um, mm -hmm. And then yeah, and within, I, mm -hmm. I think we mentioned this before. Um, yeah, we did on on one of our jump car, champ car things. Um, but I have seen those the bladders um, that Kevlar uh, 
Mm-hmm. It's pretty stiff. But depending on the car and the fuel system and everything else, it can get pretty hot. And when it does, it'll relax. So, um, you know, if you did a pump out before, you know, just by filling it and taking it out, and now you do a pump out after a race, maybe your fuel capacity changed a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not two gallons worth, but maybe a little bit. So um, <laughs> definitely worth noting, especially when, um, you know, fuel capacity, fuel burn rate, um, these things are probably some of the most important important components for strategy in an endurance race. So Mm -hmm. it won't really matter for your, your sprint race. Um, but it can get pretty important, um, for endurance races. So something to keep in mind if you're pushing that limit of your fuel capacity is, you know, check, check the cell, you know, especially if it has that flexible bladder, in the condition it's going to be tested in by tech. Yeah. Yeah, definitely something to be careful with. Um, another thing is, uh, also usually required by the safety certification is you need a anti-slosh foam, which usually comes with the fuel cell. Um, some people might get rid of it cause they think, ah, what's this foam in here? I don't need this, but it's, it's there for a reason. It's to prevent sloshing, which, you know, can, can help kind of prevent, uh, in, in the case of, of, uh, any sort of failure can maybe it can kind of slow the amount of fuel that's going to release from it. But, uh, also it's just, like I said, just trying to prevent that sloshing. Um, that, that Mm -hmm. foam will take up kind of two to 3% of your Mm -hmm. fuel, fuel cells volume. So that's another thing to look out for. Um, But that, that foam helps, I think, in, in multiple ways, too. Um, yeah, I mean, what you what you just mentioned, but also, um, you know, there's other alternatives, which you might get into in a minute with, like, Hydromat. But, um, you know, as you start getting closer to the end of your, you know, available fuel and it starts getting more empty, um, you know, reducing that sloshing will help your lift pumps. Um, mm-hmm. or if you're just running one pump, your main pump, um, you know, as you're going through some corners, the fuel wants to move around, but if you, uh, sort of control it or dissipate the amount of sloshing it's going to have, that'll, that'll help your pumps a lot. Um, and certainly for very sensitive drivers, um, it'll help with that weight transfer, you know, um, it might not matter. If you're driving around a 4,000 pound vehicle um, in trump car, but you know if you're if you're making a fuel cell for I don't know an FSAE vehicle, you know, or a small open wheel car or whatever, um, it it'll make a big difference. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, lots of times, you know, if if your tank is full. Uh, I don't know. Let's just say it's 20 gallons. Uh, gas is seven pounds per gallon? Question mark. Uh, so, like six point something, I think. Six point something. All right. Well, I'm going to say seven to do easy math. It's 140 pounds, you know, 
uh, you'd probably be able to notice if your passenger was moving around in the back. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. That There's definitely, there's a reason it's required by the safety uh, standards um, as well as recommended to be, to be run in there. So just another thing to look out for as far as capacity. Um, um, also that, that foam usually needs to be replaced every once in a while. I, I've heard people having problems at kind of clogging fuel pickups over time, um, things like that. So something to, to look out for. I've also heard it, as soon as something like that happens, they just remove it and never put it back in as far as like amateur racing stuff. But uh, definitely not recommended there, but uh, just more keeping an eye out, make sure it's not breaking down or anything. But, um, uh, but yeah, but once you have your kind of your fuel cell set up, uh, now you have to, you know, you have to figure out how you're going to get that fuel out of there and, and how to really get every drop out of there if you need to in, in say an endurance racing situation. So as Eric mentioned, uh, Hydromat is, has become very, very popular. Um, it's, it's basically a giant, like usually there's a kind of a sock at the end of a, of a lift of a internal tank fuel pump that is there to both filter as well as kind of expand the surface area that the fuel pickup can kind of suck from. Uh, but it's basically Hydromat is just taking that and then taking it to the extreme and you can have it as big as the bo- bo- entire bottom of the fuel cell, basically. Um, or just like uh, they make ones that are maybe come in a few foot long strips, basically, and could mm-hmm. maybe cover the entire back of your fuel cell in, in, in like a drag racing or road racing application where most of the time you're all, your, your main fuel pickup needs to be under acceleration where the fuel will uh, slosh a little bit back. So Hydromat can be really useful because it basically, um, there's some pretty cool videos if you, if you go on YouTube for it, but, uh, well, they'll show it's like, they'll dip just one, one kind of corner of it into like a bucket of water and it'll just, it'll just suck it straight up and then they'll put the whole thing in and it'll, you know, it, it basically it has a bunch of pores in it that if there's no fluid there, it'll close them. So it's kind of just going to basically pull fuel from any point that touches, touches it basically. So it's a pretty cool technology, a little expensive uh, for the bigger hydromats, but um, definitely a good way to go. Um, and, and so in those, you can, you can have a internal pump directly attached to that hydromat, or in other cases, you could have a, a hydromat connect to a lift pump that can be external to the fuel cell. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, unless, unless you have a kind of a fuel full hydromat that covers the entire bottom of the tank, uh, it's still recommended even with that to have a surge tank. Uh, so basically what the surge tank is going to do is, uh, you're going to have your lift pumps feeding into this surge tank, which could be internal to the fuel cell. In some cases, um, some fuel cells have internal surge tanks or could be external. Um, but basically the fuel, the lift pumps are feeding it at a rate that's higher than basically the rate that the engine will need. So ultimately it's just, it's filling this tank and then there'll be a return on the top of it. That'll either, if it's in the fuel cell, it'll just directly return to the cell. Or if it's external, it'll have a hose that, that connects to the kind of, that returns directly back into the cell from a hose. Um, so that way you always have this, this tank 
you have this maybe one gallon, half gallon, whatever it is, depending on maybe your rule set or whichever. It'll always be full. And then your main uh, pressure feed pump will then draw fuel from that surge tank to the engine. Um, the advantage here is that if you're going through a corner and fuel does slotch away from the fuel pickups or lift pumps or anything like that, there's this kind of buffer fuel volume within the surge tank um, that will then start to empty as maybe the fuel pickup is 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 now just sucking in air or whichever. Um, it'll now start to empty the surge tank, but you know, unless you're doing a skid pad for like 20 minutes straight or maybe not even 20 minutes, a few minutes, uh, unless you're doing like a skid pad, um, you know, eventually that corner should be, you should be through that corner. It's gonna, uh, you're going to go back to kind of a, you know, acceleration and your, your, your pickup's going to be back within the fuel, um, you know, back to picking up fuel and then it'll refill that surge tank. So, it really helps, especially just on a stock fuel system. If just adding a surge tank could be a huge benefit to really extracting a lot more fuel, uh, you know, actually getting that rated capacity from your fuel tank or fuel cell, um, definitely very important. So, yeah, yeah surge tanks, there's there's a lot of different and, types. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of um, pro race cars, like GT3 cars, um will have that built in to the actual fuel cell. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so same concept as what you're describing. It's just in the cell. Um, and, you know, one of the other things they'll do is they'll have um, a level for that surge tank. Um, so if you're GT3 or above, you can have live data um, from your race car, right? Mm -hmm. So you can actually see when you get into that. Um, this sort of goes back to what we already said about, you know, using every bit of fuel um, and watching the rate at which you consume it. But, you know, um, you'll definitely be able to tell when you're in that tank and almost out. Um, and you can gauge your decisions from there. So that's that's pretty cool. But... Um, you know, I mean, I, I think the, the benefits you just described are probably some of the best. And, uh, you know, I mean, the, the pros are doing it. Uh, why not you? So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so I, I think, especially endurance racing, when if you're just starting out, like, and you want to do something, uh, some sort of upgraded fuel system, like just adding a surge tank, which you can find on eBay for, like, 70, 100 bucks, something like that uh, definitely is a huge, huge, big, big uh, benefit that you'll be able to realize like immediately um, for, I mean, for most endurance racing, if you're not really increasing the power of your engine, there's really nothing else you need to do. You don't really have to worry about injector sizing and fuel pump sizing and stuff like that. Cause it'll be properly, properly sized already. Um, and usually there's some margin on most cars where if you are doing some slight power, adders and everything that uh you shouldn't need to immediately need to replace everything but um one thing to note uh with with injector sizing is that um usually their flow rate is is listed at kind of a hundred percent duty cycle but injectors can't really maintain a hundred percent duty cycle they're usually going to top out around eighty percent um 
and usually you can you can data log that duty cycle uh, within the ECU most of the, a lot of times I've seen. So it's one thing to look out for as as you increase towards that eighty percent uh, duty cycle. That's when you know you're basically you're running out of injector. So if if you're already at like eighty percent, maybe even starting to approach ninety percent if your injector is hap- able to do that. Uh, but your fuel your air fuel ratio is is starting to increase and lean out uh, even though you're you're asking for a richer air fuel ratio that's when you're going to start to see that you're running out of injector um, and then it's also you also need to make sure you're not running out of a fuel pump that's usually going to be manifest itself in fuel pressure uh, starting to drop um, for your desired you know flow rate so if you're monitoring fuel pressure, uh, that's another way to kind of see that your fuel pump needs to be increased in size. Um, or if, you know, if you see fuel pressure drops, it could also be that you're, you're having fuel slosh issues and pickup issues. So it's another way to monitor that. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then from there, I mean, the, the next level you might need to start looking at is if you're going big horsepower, you know, hundreds, hundreds or thousands of horsepowers. Uh, that's when you start looking at like, is my fuel line sizing the correct size? Cause you know, if you have really small lines, uh, it's really going to make that pump work a lot harder, um, to the point where you know, it's going to be a restriction. So you mm-hmm. start bumping up your line sizes and, and usually it's kind of when you buy a fuel pump that's sized for like a thousand horsepower, and you buy an upgraded fuel rail and things like that, they're usually going to have much larger fittings on them already. So you're kind of naturally going to want to start uh, increasing, um, you know, those line sizes. And then mm-hmm. uh, one other area that I think is overlooked sometimes is, is fuel filtering. Um, for uh, one, uh, one thing to be careful with is to not put a super fine filter on the pickup uh, side of the pump, you're going you to want just something that's maybe 10 or 15 micron or something that, um, that doesn't restrict the flow as much, uh, that just wants, you want to prevent just big pieces in the fuel tank from being picked up by the pump. Uh, and then before the injector is where you want to have your fine filtering. Um, so a lot of times the fuel fil- those fuel filters will be located within the engine bay, like kind of right before the fuel rail. Um, at least the OEM ones, because because there's there's OEM fuel filters um, that are definitely good to change. If, if if you have a really old car, it could be a little clogged up. Um, those are there to pre- prevent any clogging in the injector. Whereas the fuel pump can take a bit more larger particles. So in order to stop prevent restriction of flow uh, pre pump, then you just want usually the the little socks that they have on those in tank pumps is is also acting as a filter there, but if you have like uh, kind of external pumps, then you might want some kind of uh, more coarse filtering before those. Um, but it's definitely something to look out for. And also making sure that your filter media is compatible with the fuel that you're using. Um, if you're just using like those plain like paper elements, those won't last long in E85, uh, for example. Uh, mm-hmm. Usually you need some sort of stainless uh, element. Um, so... Um, so yeah, definitely something to be careful with. It's, it's definitely important for the longevity and reliability of your fuel system. Um, and then kind of one more area that, 
I haven't really dabbled in too much, but I've seen people have issues with it, and that's fuel cooling, um, uh, especially in like kind of an endurance racing environment where maybe your fuel cell is located really close to your exhaust, and you have maybe you slightly oversized your fuel pump, and you have a lot of fuel kind of pumping all the way to the fuel rail, you know, and returning back. And every time your fuel pump is pumping the fuel, it's going to add some heat to it as well. So like mm-hmm. I've seen some cars have really, you know, have problems with basically uh, vapor lock because the, the temperature of the fuel gets so high that it starts to, you know, kind of vaporize within the lines and then uh, can prevent, you know, startup when you're coming in for a fuel stop and things like that. And one way you can prevent that is, is with fuel cooling. Um, you know, you could have an air to fuel cooler somewhere in the front of the car um, the problem, at least with like champ cars, is that that's going to be points. And, uh, if you're not having a problem with, with vapor lock, then you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to really worry about it. Uh, you wouldn't, you shouldn't need to add it. But, uh, overall, I, I mean, I, for the life of the pump, uh, life of your injectors, it would be nice to, to have the fuel a little more cooler. And, uh, there could be some very small power benefits from it too, but it's definitely some place that, uh, I think uh, I'm sure a lot of uh, professional, they kind of full-on race race cars will might have uh, have a solution for. But uh, although you know a lot of like Formula One, if if they don't need a cooler, they're definitely not going to add one because that's a you know more aero drag and everything. So um, it's definitely one thing to 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 think about. Uh, One one area I saw used it used quite interestingly was a, a time attack car that had a mechanical fuel pump. Uh, they were having problems with vapor lock, especially with the mechanical pump, which, um, you know, can, can get the fuel quite hot. Uh, they added a fuel cooler in the, in the intake, like pre turbo basically. Uh, so as, as the air was going through the, like the main intake filter and they had this cooler built into the to kind of the intake pipe to, to help cool the fuel, uh, to to prevent it from vapor locking at start and stuff, so uh, I thought that was a pretty interesting setup. But um, but for most of us, shouldn't be too much of a concern. I think it's more important to be kind of proactive with heat heat management. Like try to route your exhaust away from your fuel cell or position your fuel cell away from your exhaust. Uh, right. Add heat shielding, add heat protection to your fuel pipes and everything. And yep, exactly. I think that should get you most of the way. And then in some cases, just uh, it, it can be a detriment to oversize your pump because then, like I said, you have it returning a lot of fuel around f- through the fuel system and just continuously pumping it. So it's another area that, that um, for maybe like a, a, someone who runs like in drag racing, maybe not much of a concern, but if you're oversizing your pump for road racing, uh, it could be, become a problem. But um but yeah, heat heat's always a uh, always the enemy of really everything in, in racing. So definitely something to avoid. Um, oh yeah. But uh, yeah, I think that I think that mostly covers. Uh, I guess the the last thing we can talk about is types of fuel. Um. Mm-hmm. So um, I think we touched on this a little bit with uh, force induction, but um, but we can expand a little bit. So. I mean, you know, most people are going to be running gasoline. Uh, 
you know, a lot, most mostly available to us. The highest octane we can really get, other than race gas, is going to be 93 octane, maybe 91 octane if you're in California or uh, other other states that just don't have the the good juice. Um, but uh, you know, 93 octane is going to be good for most people's needs for road racing, that kind of thing. Um, but you know, if you need some more, uh, so if you need more. I guess, you know, octane is resistance to detonation or knock. Um, so if you're having knock issues, you're having pinging and uh, maybe even worse than that, you're having, you know, engine full on engine failure, failure from detonation. Uh, that's when you're going to want to up your octane. So, you know, first, first area you can go is uh race gas. So it's still, still gasoline, just oxygenated for higher octane and, uh, and it'll, uh, you know, you can get as high as like 105, 110. I think, it, you know, yeah. maybe even in the one, close to 120 octane. Uh, I think um, 110 is the highest I've seen at pumps. Obviously, that's not very common. You have to yeah. seek these pumps out. But, um, yeah, there's some gas stations that sell 110. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I've seen anything higher at a pump, right? Obviously, you can go yeah. to VP Racing or whoever, but yeah, yeah. But um, so the, I mean, the good thing about race gas is that um, it still has that same stoichiometric burn air fuel ratio, um, so you don't have to worry about sizing your fuel components really any differently. Um, you just get that octane boost, you just get more power, you can have more timing, more boost, whatever your your whatever your limit, you know, whatever the, your, your limit was before you can start increasing those, um, once you go to the octane, higher octane, and then you don't have to really worry about any fuel system resizing or compatibility issues and that kind of thing. So that's definitely the benefit of, um, race gas. The, the main detriment is, uh, cost. (laughs) It's like eight bucks a gallon. Uh, Yeah, that was, I don't know what it is now. That's for like, like you said, if you find it at a pump at a, a local gas station or uh, a lot of times if you go to a track that has race gas, um, it'll it'll start to be more than that. It could be like toward 10 or even $20 a gallon. Um, and then the, the more exotic, like 118 octane or whatever from like VP racing, those things can start to be like $50 a gallon or some ridiculous number. Which, mm-hmm. if you're drag racing, you know, you're using like a half gallon a pull or, or you know, a pass or, or maybe a gallon a pass for like the big horsepower guys. Um, yeah, that's not too bad. That's, you know, it's not crazy depending on it. And it could be really big gains. But, um, but yeah, if you were to be road racing, especially endurance road racing on race gas, that's, uh, oof. yeah, <laughs> that's expensive. <laughs> that's going to get real expensive real quick um for the the slightly less exotic race gases like yeah maybe your 100 octane or your kind of 108 or 110 uh and you get those big 55 gallon drums of it um it might not be as bad but if you're ordering it in those like little gallon things at a Mm -hmm. time like uh yeah it's it's gonna be expensive so um as far as kind of dollar per octane uh, one of the best ways to go is e85 that's the poor man's race gas 
Yeah. So uh, E85 has an effective octane of around 106 um, and then has the benefits of the ethanol kind of providing uh, as it from its lower heat of vaporization as it's it's vaporizing within the intake you know tract and you know, within your cylinder head and everything and entering the cylinder it'll cool the intake charge as it's entering and then that effectively also increases your your performance and your resistance to knock and everything so um 85 is a very good choice for uh kind of you know, on a budget for increasing power and octane and everything super popular with a lot of people in drag racing and just making big street horsepower and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's available at, at, at the pump, depending on where you are uh, here in Michigan, it's, it's almost available everywhere because of the whole flex fuel thing that GM, you know, I guess lobbied for and everything. And, uh, unfortunately I think it's, it's, it's becoming a bit more and more expensive. I think as probably kind of government subsidies go away. Yeah. And, um, there, there's an interesting story about that where, um, so America's really good at growing corn. Mm-hmm. Um, there's government subsidies for growing corn, uh, and for putting it in soft drinks and whatever. And it, that whole circular thing, kind of weird, but without getting too deep into it, um, as we all know, flex fuel was lobbied as cleaner, um, and so there was there was more subsidies, uh, even more for growing corn, and then they realized that they had subsidized it so much that um, all these farms were only growing corn, and some of them were like the the amount of corn they were growing, like size wise, volume was bigger, so they were buying more tractors and more equipment to support it. And, uh, the department of energy realized, um, I think it was the department of energy. It might've been the EPA realized, Oh shit. Um, we subsidized it so much. All this extra equipment just offset all of our, uh, <laughs> emission savings that we thought we got from it. <laughs> so yes, government subsidies for that have been drying up and, uh, yeah, it's going to go up a bit, but yeah, and still, you know, it's not bad, but still not too expensive. But yeah, it's still at least in Michigan, really readily available, like everywhere. Um, I know other states, maybe not so much. I remember Pennsylvania; there was only a few stations. Um, so a little, it, it's it's I guess more location based. It depends on where you are, whether it's feasible for you to to be running it in say a streetcar, a modified streetcar or something. If you're, if you're racing, maybe like road racing or, or just drag racing, it might be easier to, you just, you know that where that one pump is, you can fill up before, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, fill up some fuel jugs before you go and then you're good. So, um, the, but it, you know, it's so it's very affordable, but the, the downside of 85 is, a due to its stoichiometric ratio being lower, which means you effectively need uh, more fuel per air. Um, you know, it's around, uh, I believe, 9.7 or something to 1. Um, yeah. uh, because of that, you need roughly 30 35% more fuel 
per volume of air to 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 basically make the same power that you would have been on gasoline but then of course you have a higher kind of power ceiling than regular pump gas so um so those kind of compound you need more fuel than you would if you're just using gasoline and then now you're making more power so you need more fuel on top of that uh because you have a higher kind of power ceiling so you can run more boost you can run more timing and and uh make more power from the engine. So you're going to need even more fuel on top of that. So that's where you need to start sizing your fuel injectors much, much bigger uh, to the point where, you know, drag racing guys that are maybe running 85 or E98 in some cases, which you can get from, you can't get from just normal gas stations, but there's uh, like VP racing has like E98 uh, as a, as an option. But, um, you know, as they start getting ethanol and then, methanol which we'll talk about next uh you start to um really maybe you need uh you know two injectors per cylinder maybe even three injectors per cylinder in some cases um yeah or where you thought you might need a 350 cc you're throwing in id 1000s just to be safe yeah (laughs) you know so but yeah i mean it's a it's a strange spiral um it's pretty sweet though, right? Uh, as you mentioned, it burns cooler. Um, so it it has a higher effective knock. Then it burns cooler, so it cools that charge. And then you're adding even more, which cools the charge even more. Um, it's somewhat of a spiral, and you just keep getting more and more benefits and you know maybe using more and more fuel, but whatever more power um but yeah it's it's a it's pretty interesting you know circular logic sort of thing um yeah looking at my ve tables yeah i was using over double you know i started with 30 percent because that's what everyone says and obviously i was trying to make more power um but between my 93 tune and my e85 tune it was you know a little over double so it was substantial yeah yeah so and then on top of that you also as i kind of alluded to earlier you have to worry about kind of compatibility issues with certain parts uh Mm -hmm. 85 is a little more corrosive um so certain certain parts that just a standard fuel system can uh can get away with you you need to upgrade so you know fuel filters uh certain types of fuel lines can uh can need to be changed out usually more like the aftermarket like braided lines certain ones are uh not the best usually you need the the ptfe lined ones uh for 85 but um Mm -hmm. yeah uh, it's something you really don't want just sitting around right yeah um that too like you don't want to leave it in your car um it, it gets gummed up uh also I'm not sure if it's a viscosity thing, but there's an old SAE paper um, with like a clear, uh, I guess, head. Um, It's not even really a head, but there was a clear window so you could see inside a cylinder, right? And under cold starts, uh, it was not atomizing well. It was not spraying well, you know, um, you know, obviously this is like a high speed camera thing. 
but it looked like it was just sort of falling out and disgusting. So it's a lot harder to get it to work right for cold starts. You know, um, there are some tricks to it for sure. Yeah. So definitely, yeah, a little trickier. Um, uh, and then I guess another thing to look out for is, um, you know, it might say 85 at the gas station, but what you're getting might not actually be 85 when you actually pump it. So having a flex fuel sensor can be very beneficial. Um, they're super readily available thanks to GM putting them on so many vehicles for so many years. Uh, and they can be had for pretty good prices. So mm-hmm. um, definitely one thing to look out for uh, uh, if, you're, if you're going to be running it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, but before we move on, I, I guess we've noted that, you know, it, you can advance the timing. It has a higher effective knock, but a lot of the benefits we said were from cooling, whether it's because you're adding more fuel or just the heat of vaporization. Um, so you're going to see a lot more benefit from E85 in a boosted car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can put it in your naturally aspirated car and get some gains, but they're not going to be close to what you'd get in a boosted application. So yeah, definitely something to consider. Definitely. So yeah, if you if you're not boosted and you're doing some like yeah, road racing or whatever, it, yeah, it's not going to be. You're not really going to see any gains, and a lot of times, saying like spec me out, you're not even allowed to run it. So. um but yeah, if you're running a boosted car, drag racing, boosted time attack, or even road racing car, like yeah, it's gonna be if you wanna if you want more power, it's definitely the most cost effective way to, to go. Um but for say endurance racing, another you know, as we talked about, the fuel burn is is gonna be, you know, thirty to forty percent more. Uh, especially now if you're if you're making maybe not hundred more horsepower, or whatever, it's gonna be even, you know. <laughs> much much more burn rate and yeah you're going to run out of fuel much sooner so uh, mm-hmm. if you have the capacity to run the the amount of time you need to run then then you'll be fine but yeah otherwise you'll be stopping in for fuel a lot more often um right uh from from e85 and, and as well as like e98 which is just 98 percent ethanol um now we start to get into like methanol uh which has a stoichiometric ratio of about six and a half to one. So again, you're just it, you're adding more and more fuel for per air, which is going to help cool the charge. But then also, it's you know it's gonna ha- it also has additional resistance to knock and and kind of better. It, it might it can also have better energy, basic energy store like energy value per pound or whatever. Like basically, as we keep going up these higher higher more exotic fuels you just you're gonna get more intake charge cooling more resistance knock and then better kind of burn energy uh basically so you know methanol really only going to be used by your drag racers um you know those are the guys getting real serious you know trying to push 80 80 plus pounds of boost and all this crazy stuff um and then, and then from there you have the, the, the final frontier, which is your nitromethane, <laughs> uh, which, uh, has a theoretical, uh, stoichiometric ratio of 1.7 to one. So, you know, we're talking, Oof. you know, 
almost nine times as much fuel per that than gasoline that you'd need per per volume air <laughs> um and you know that's at the the theoretical stoichiometric ratio a lot of, a lot of times like uh so nitromethane is mainly you know going to be run by like top fuel dragsters and funny cars uh in a nhra um and you know they're going to be running it richer than that to get like max power. So, you know, they could be like one to one basically, or even below that. So they're, they're yeah. just dumping fuel. If you've ever seen like the fuel system on those cars, it's like the fuel, like the main feed from the fuel tank is like a three inch pipe. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah like, it's, it's funny. It's so big that it looks like they didn't try, but I'm sure a lot of math went into it. Yeah. But you look at it and you're like, ah, they just oversized the shit out of it. But they just yeah. have garden hoses going to every fucking cylinder. Yeah, exactly. Like the, it's not even like an injector at that point. They're just pouring it in with like, yeah, some garden hose fittings or whatever. Like, yeah. Not really, but that's what it looks <laughs> like. <laughs> yeah. They are, um, uh, interestingly though, like they are really on that limit of uh, like hydrolock with so much mm-hmm, fuel. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not yeah. uncommon. In fact, I would bet money that if you went and saw, you know, an NHRA drag race, at least one car, you're going to see that happen and parts are going to, you know, go to the moon. So it's not uncommon. Yep. Yeah. And then, and whenever you're, um, if you're, if you ever get the chance to go to like an NHRA, uh, race and you're in the pits and they fire up one of those things like it burns oh, your eyes it's like pure gas yeah yeah <laughs> it's, they're it's running spicy legs. <laughs> yeah uh, it's pretty crazy um but uh yeah i mean that's what you need to make ten thousand horsepower from well, like 450 cubic inches or whatever they're they're running or yeah or whatever it is um, Sweet, <laughs> so um yeah it's uh, I don't think we'll ever see it in time attack or, or road racing or anything, but, uh, no, uh, no, you... they use their entire, like, I don't know how big it is. Three to five gallons. Probably got, more than that. It's gotta be, be more than that. Yeah. Yeah. And they use that all of it in the pass. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's gotta be more, but I don't know, man. Something to be said for machines that accelerate faster than, you know, anything else. Like the space shuttle or whatever. But slow. <laughs> Rockets, slow. Boo. Yeah, this is saying uh, 17 gallons. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So I don't know if, I imagine they don't use exactly 17 gallons in a pass, but I, I imagine they don't want to hold any extra if they don't have yeah. to. So um, they probably use like, 15 or something of that. Yeah, let's say 15 and like uh whew, 15 it's not gallons even a full per mile either. Yeah, 1000 feet. 1000 so. feet. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, so I mean yeah, if you were running that in like endurance race, you'd probably have to have a freaking tanker trailer on your race car. <laughs> yeah, you <would. laughs> uh Maybe a time attack. I think it could be feasible for time attack. You put like a 30-gallon cell in there. Uh, I mean, you wouldn't be running 10,000 horsepower, right? Maybe you're running 1,000 or something. Um, 
but from like a little two liter engine or smaller or something, you know, mm-hmm. boosting it to the moon. You know, maybe you have a 30 or maybe you need like a 50 gallon fuel cell or something. But if you could run a lap on nitro math, that'd be pretty badass. <laughs> that'd be sick. I mean, b- big power gains. So I, I'd i like to see at least them try methanol because I know they'll they'll use like race either kind of race gas or, or E85. But like I want to see them use just straight up at least like, you know, methanol. That would be uh, that would be badass. We're pretty funny. <laughs> but uh but yeah i think that covers really most fuel system stuff i'm sure there's little things here and there that we're missing but kind of general your overall systems we didn't really talk carbs that much but that's because yeah i don't know we don't really yeah. like those <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i mean it's listen there's a, there's a lot of carb fanboys out there um but if you've ever actually had to deal with one it sucks you know, oh, it's cold outside and <laughs> you can't choke it enough. I better go get the starter fluid. You know, <laughs> it's fucking garbage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's great to appreciate your roots, I guess, and where you yeah. came from. And it's cool how they work. You know, we can definitely like draw a diagram and go through it. Um, like they're, they're neat. But in practice, I don't want to have one. Yeah. <laughs> if I can have this other system that gives me the amount of fuel I need rather than like uh, my best guess, right? Yeah. You're turning screws, like adjustment <laughs> screws. <laughs> or if it's a big change, you're going to change the jet. Maybe yeah. if you have a race carb, you have a, you have different cuts in your pentel so you can change the offset i mean those are still pretty big steps like no fuck carbs dude (laughs) yeah i mean i i never really had any problem with the multi-port fuel ejection as far as like complexity or diagnosing things or tuning like it's super easy to tune i mean with modern uh oxygen sensors and everything it's it's all, it can all be, you know, basically self-learning at that point. Um, yeah. Uh, and self-compensating and it's just, it's, uh, I don't know. Like, yeah, you can get to a point where it starts to get a little crazy once you start looking at, you know, multi-port injection combined with direct injection and a bunch of other stuff. It's, you know, but uh, for your, just your standard kind of basic, fuel injection systems that that aren't uh because one thing to look out for is older multi-port injection systems might still be uh they might be it's kind of they're not i can't remember the term but basically it's wasted fuel where it'll it will inject fuel basically at every engine rotation and then so some fuel is just kind of not going actually and you know through the in the cylinder that's going to be igniting at that point uh those you know those setups that's that's some really old stuff but yeah you just have uh you're limited by the outputs um generally from like your ecu or something so it's uh you know if you had a four cylinder maybe two of the injectors would be tied together Mm -hmm. so 
they're not all going all the time, but yeah, one of those two is spraying when it needs to, and the other one is also spraying because <laughs> it's getting the same signal. Uh, but that's yeah, you know, basically, if you just have a crank angle sensor and no cam sync sensor, then yeah, you know, then you'd have to run that sort of strategy. So as long as just any modern vehicle that that's not too new doesn't have all the crazy other electronics going on for emission systems and all this other stuff. Kind of you know, that, that golden era of like nineties to early two thousands where you start to get into like OBD two. Uh, so you have really good diagnostics. Um, but you know, it, but your engine has a proper, you know, uh, crank and sync setup, and you mm-hmm. have four, you know, one injector per cylinder and it's just, it's all it's all pretty simple. It's you, know, you have your fuel tables, and as long as your injector is scaled properly in there, and you're you have your you're checking your fuel ratios, it's it's really not too really difficult to to mess with. Um, right. But um, but uh, but yeah, I mean that's that's just, you know, that's just me. That's what I'm comfortable with. I'm sure, you know, some people are more comfortable with their carburetors and they can look up in the sky and see, oh, there's a cloud overhead. We should uh, adjust the jet or, you know, just the, uh, you know, (laughs) let's quickly turn that screw like a quarter turn real quick. That'll get us that extra three horsepower, whatever. And I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some old wizards that are great with carbs, but the thing is, like, if I have an OBD2 sensor, you're not going to be better than me, <laughs> right? I'm reading the amount of oxygen in the exhaust. Like, best case scenario, you're as good as. Congratulations, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, it's... Yeah. Uh, I, I agree. Late 90s, I think, is the golden era because it's before... Uh, you know, too much complexity or security systems in the car. And obviously there's ways to circumvent that, but for your average tuner, um, you know, I, I think that the setups in late nineties cars are probably pretty much the best. Yeah. Easiest to work on, easy to find parts for lots of different tuning options. It's definitely a very nice sweet spot, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, I think that uh, I think that definitely covers it. Uh, you know, if if you if if you think we missed anything or you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at our uh, social medias, our Instagram or our Facebook at Motorsports Tech Talk. Um, it's also a great place to see when we put out episodes. Like uh, I mean, we we took a, a few weeks off recently. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I, I posted up there about that. I, mean, I was a little, I was a week late on on that, but you know, if you're curious and you don't know why new episodes aren't popping up in your your iTunes or your Spotify, you know, that's one place to look to to. You can either reach out to us or 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 we try to update it as as much as possible. Um, but uh, but yeah, but otherwise, thanks again for sticking with us this long, and um, we hope to talk to you guys again soon. See ya.